Hi, I'm Mike Asinald and welcome to the Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge's AC23 Plus Artist Legacy Series podcast. This is a series where we talk to artists who are doing amazing things in the areas of the arts, including performance, education, production, as well as arts advocacy. We record this series in the Virginia and John Nolan Black Box Studio, as well as in the Jan and Bill Grimes Recording Studio here at the Cary Siraj Community Arts Center. Be sure to visit artsbr.org for more information on all the great things we are doing here at the Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge. Hope you enjoyed the podcast series and thanks for tuning in.
<laughs> well, that was fun. It was fun. Oh, um, man. Man, what a pleasure. So yes. uh, for all my, all the listeners and viewers of AC23+, Plus, the podcast series here at the Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge, I'd like to welcome a dear friend of mine who I've known since he was mm, just going into high school, I think, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Jacob Dupree. Yes, sir. So happy to be here. Thanks for being here. Yes. Um, so you're in town for about a week? Mm-hmm. And you're in town from? From right now, outside the Atlanta area. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, I was in Indiana. Yeah. Working at Sweetwater. Some people may have seen me. And I'm sure some many people have seen you. Product yeah. demos and other kinds of content and things. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Well, it's great to have you here. And yes. um, my goal is to get into some cool things. Uh, I'd like to start, though, with just some history. You know, um, right. we were talking prior to recording just about, you know, I mean, Baton Rouge has a, a rich musical history, and a lot of it is tied in directly to your family and mm-hmm. the associations of your family. That's right. So get me started. So, like, how did um, – tell us a little bit about the, the legacy that you're part of and how you got started in music. Right. Well, um, my family really goes back with music in this state quite a while. Um, I commonly say I'm a fifth-generation musician because even before my grandfather, John Gerbrecht, that a lot of people around Mm -hmm. here know because of his influence, before him, you know, it went back further than that in the beginning of the 20th century. And um, one of my relatives, my ancestors, um, Uncle Pinky Gerbrecht, nicknamed Pinky, um, he was a classical violinist, hmm. a trumpet player also, and I'm going to get it right because, like I think I was mentioning earlier, every time I'm home, I, I check my mom on my facts, yeah. you know, because <laughs> she's sort of one of the family scholars, um, but he played, I believe, on the first live radio broadcast in New Orleans okay. that was jazz, yeah, wow. and he had he played with Oliver Naylor, I think was the name, mm-hmm. you can find some YouTube videos of people doing recordings of the records but he um he was in that band and there there are recordings out there of him from the 20s and that's my great great uncle yeah or great uncle okay so and then you know it it went past that in several generations down and that led to my grandfather johnny gerbrecht and um i mean it's being here this week i'm here to play the jazz invitational mm-hmm that he and Lee Forche, his other good friend that you, of course, know, um, started in 1967. This is the 57th year of that. And and so many things in just this community and music were shaped by those two guys. Um, So (laughs) I'm kind of, I guess I'm doing the uh, prequel to my story. But I grew up with that. That's just very brief. There's so many other things. But I grew up with that legacy kind of in the rearview mirror for me to look at, you know, that what my grandfather was already doing. Uh, but, I mean, it was such a blessing, you know, because oh, yeah. when I was, um, I like to say I've been playing like, you know, basically since birth, but in a way before because my mom was playing gigs, who's a teacher here and a mm-hmm. pianist, um, flute player, wonderful singer, of course, one of my first teachers, like the rest of my family, but right. she was playing gigs when she was pregnant for me. So, so you me. were on the gig before you were actually I was on you know, the gig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was already I was already working and listening and I do believe that probably 
shaped I'm sure me. Sure, it did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it goes for my brother John, who's a couple years younger than me. But we we both grew up with that amazing musical family around us, with my grandfather playing trumpet, band director playing a smattering of many other instruments. Right. And then my grandmother, classical pianist. I was taking my first lessons when her with her when I was like four, you know, four or right, five. Right. So, um, so I, I I like to think that you know even if I tried, the music wasn't gonna miss me. Yeah. <laughs> or my brother. Yeah. You know, we were. It just is ingrained in who we are. It's our legacy, and it's uh, it's it's definitely ultimately always a blessing to have that that background. I'm curious, um, because I didn't have that sort of um blessing as though I like to think of it as uh, mm-hmm. you know growing up in a, a musically rich environment right so my question to you is so like yeah you know <laughs> you're around on the gig in the womb yeah and then you're probably being you know drug around to gigs even before you could really play sure but at home yeah I'm sure there was music still going on constantly am Always. I right in thinking that oh yeah yeah, yeah. I mean it's uh it kind of sort of became a joke for a while but pretty much every time there was a new grandchild born and ended up at my grandparents house they had a cornet in their hand <laughs> he was having them blow there's a mouth the bottle and then there's the cornet. <laughs> right as soon as they're old enough to hold it even if they can't hold it you know he would kneel on the ground next to the little ones in our family and right. let them try whatever they wanted to try and so i have awesome home videos even if um you know my my other cousins in from out of town at holiday times and most of us don't know how to play that well when we're you know between five and ten but somebody gets put on the drums because the drums are always set up someone's on a piano and granddaddy pulls out his trumpet and before long it's a band and um it makes me think of um the great bass player uh, victor wooten talks about his family mm-hmm. how they weren't taught this music school very academic thing from an early age they just had instruments put in their hands right and they were making music already. They weren't, obviously they weren't experts and they were going to learn and grow, but we were making music together as kids before we even really knew what we were doing. Right. And that's, that's really the, the, the beauty of that, of growing up in that. So, yeah, uh, you know, I've d- just working in New Orleans for so long and meeting so many of very similar situations of just musical families, legacies. Sure. And they'll talk about, I was talking to one guy who's, um, you know, the whole family's incredibly gifted, but it's like, yeah, we'd just be sitting at the, the kitchen table and eating dinner and we're singing harmonies. Yep. You know, it's just, just, it's not a separate thing. Oh, I do this, then I go do music. It's right. just part of the life. Yep, totally. Just like, you know, the musical families, it's when we sing happy birthday, we're always doing it in harmony. Right. We're not, and we're not doing the kind of the, uh, not to judge people, but the, the happy birthday where it's, you know, almost all keys are represented because somebody is singing uh, you know, we we are we are all hitting our harmonies at the end, and everybody knows where they're supposed to go. And right, I mean, we literally just did a voicemail to one of my uncles last night for his birthday, and yeah. we all we all did it without talking about it because we all we have second nature for years. And I mean, it's because you know I should elaborate more. I mentioned my mom, of course, uh, Mr. Gerbrecht's daughter, so mm-hmm. raised in that household of music, and then because of that, my my growing up was very much the same, you know, that she was having my brother, John and I sing and play. And we were on gigs sitting in when we were again, kind of too young to even get it. But we were, it was again, like you said, it wasn't like a, Oh, we're going to go do music now. It's just what our family 
did. So we were always singing. We were making music in church together. That mm-hmm. was a big part of how our family started, um, well, kind of kept our tradition going, just right. with, my, with my mom and dad and my brother. So, but yeah, it was just always this community of musicians we had around us, more than just family. That was the other thing was, you know, getting to interact with uh, all my granddad's friends and mm-hmm. those guys were my first I mean when I was sitting in on jobs at like 10 years old and you know granddaddy would say play snare drum and I'm with guys like Lenny Capella and John DePacchier and him and right. they're playing all the trad stuff and I'm just I'm getting my education you know and I didn't know it yet but right yeah I mean how how amazing is that you know what do they say about um the gig experiences the uh the test comes first, the lesson comes later. Yeah. So you're just, you're jumping right into it and doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Being put in the fire, but then being in a in a situation with musicians much older than you that are all teachers at heart, too. And well, so many of those were actual, you know, that was their profession. They were teachers was. as well as performers. Yeah, so I was, I was always around that. Like, you know, people that loved seeing young musicians going through that journey for the first time, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I'm curious, uh, if, if it's so second nature though, and part of the family, um, what was, th- was there a rigor aspect to it growing up? Like, I mean, did you have your mom or your dad saying, you know, you, you need to practice now, or did that even exist? Or you just, you're just always practicing it. Well, I'll say this. Um, my brother and I have the misfortune maybe of growing up just, Right in the the craze of the video game era. <laughs> um, luckily, I was a little before social media up until high school, so I was less perhaps distracted by a lot of different things. But there were definitely those times that, you know, when we were really young, there was definitely encouragement. You know, just, okay, you know, you, you played Halo for two hours. Go do your classical stuff before, because you're, you know, Mr. Deloney's not going to be happy if he right, right. can't play the Sonata tomorrow, you know. Right. And for a while, it would have to be a little encouraging, but it didn't, it didn't take long, really, for the both of us to want to start doing it, you know. Right, right. Um, and it, it I mean, I, I think I always loved it, but there was definitely, like, those early years of encouragement. But it was always good encouragement, mm-hmm. you know. It wasn't, um, definitely never felt like it was a, you know, like a faded thing that I had to had to be a musician. For instance, my dad, um, who's playing trumpet tonight mm-hmm. in the Baton Rouge Jazz Ensemble, which is I'm going to be sitting in and playing with them. Right. He's an engineer. He's yeah. a civil engineer, and that's one of the cool things about that band. All those guys do something else, you know, and they're and they're still playing. So, yeah, right. But for me, I remember you told me, um, you know, you used to tell a lot of students you got the bug. When, yeah. when, and, and I, I definitely got the bug probably earlier than a lot because I had this family that was encouraging mm-hmm. me. Um, but I mean, I was, I was in love with it at one point and knew that was what I was going to do. No, would you, uh, I know you're, you know, studied a lot of different types of music and, uh, are adapted probably any type of music. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, most of the people that I've talked to or, you know, had maybe on this podcast or just in other situations, they generally identify themselves, I guess, if they had to pick something as their core being a jazz musician. Mm. How do how do you think of yourself, or does it even matter to you? I think my early journey, because I started with kind of traditional classical training, but then 
a lot of people in my family play jazz too. So I was hearing that um, up through high school, I probably would have said I was a jazz pianist. Right. Um, because that was what I spent the most time studying. Um, and I played classical too, but that, that was how I thought of myself and defined myself. But um, that wasn't the only music I listened to. Um, although I feel like in recent years, I've branched out to other genres and um, I, I definitely, you know, as I think a lot of people do, they get into school to learn jazz and classical and there's a certain air about academics in those genres that sometimes, you know, not maybe that they, they don't like other genres, but it's just not as discussed. You mm -hmm. know, it's, it's sort of that, that pop stuff, you know, oh, that, right. that you yeah. might have to play to, to make money one day, but right. it's not the the art, you know, but I, what I've like is that, um, there's art in everything. Right. Um, and a lot of the music that came before me, I mean, I was, I was an old soul from the beginning playing these old jazz tunes and sure. my friends were listening to Justin Timberlake and mm -hmm. I had no idea when I was that age really, um, <laughs> of that stuff. But then I got older and, you know, my, my parents are playing me the music from the seventies and the eighties and I'm like, Oh, okay, these these guys like had it figured out. Like mm -hmm. they figured out how to blend groove with the harmonies and the stuff in that old music that I fell in love with early. Right. And now I, you know, it's like I, I identify myself just as a musician that wants to play the good stuff. Right. And it doesn't have to just be jazz, you know. Um, I mean, without jazz, we wouldn't have most of the pop we have. So, right. you know, and I, I just, uh, I look at it all now as this like this big tree and all these branches. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I ba basically any, any music that gets me tapping my feet, that has some, some decent chord progressions, I'm probably on board. Right. And uh, any other levels of complexity are welcome, of course, but. Yeah, it's funny. That's when the I good stuff. When I think about just dealing or working with students over the years, and um, especially if we're dealing with uh, the jazz vocabulary or mm. just becoming a, quote, jazz musician, um, mm. I, w I would always kind of point out to them that, you know, the goal here is not to necessarily be a jazz musician. The, yeah. But I think what – if you're going to go down that rabbit hole to, to a, you know, notable degree – it's going to get you to develop a lot of things that will allow you to do other forms of music. Not that they're easier, but it's just, a, um, you know, your ears are developed to a certain point. Your techniques develop. Your creativity is developed. You, there, there's mm -hmm. so many musical skills that go along with that genre. Yeah. Again, depending on how deep you go. It, it's kind of like jazz is a prerequisite to play the rest of American music. I think so. After it. If yeah. you've gone through that, there's probably not going to be anything you can't handle or at least approach, you know. Right. Because I know I'm not an expert at, you know, I don't know, playing exactly in the Western swing piano style. Right. But I've done it a little bit, and I can hear it because I've got the jazz ears that I've worked on, mm -hmm. and I hear the similarities into what I know how to do. And usually it's like crafting a version of yourself that fits in the genre. Right. When you're kind of thrown into a moment like that, maybe right. you have time to really learn something. But, but you're right. That's what that background gives you. You can be a chameleon, right? Kind of at will, yeah. you know. Where I know, you know, because I I do a lot of videos and content mm -hmm. online on jazz, 
and there, I know that there's, you know, because I have a lot of friends like this, there are a lot of musicians that come heavy from the rock background, and they're hungry to know more about mm -hmm. jazz harmony, and a lot of those guys that are in, in gals, they can hear it, you know, and they, they know, but they're like, you know, but I, I want to get it, get it, you know, and, yeah, and it's yeah. like, here you go, buddy, you ready? <laughs> you ready? It's going to be, it's going to be quite a journey, but you're going to be glad you took it. You know. you know, it's funny. Um, I, I was doing a little thing the other day with a very, very talented guitar player who I'd really just met. Uh, we'd been communicating via phone, but actually mm. played together the other day. And I mean, just very, extremely ear oriented. Would be the first to tell you he doesn't read and all that business. But right. um, um, so we're just kind of you know figuring out some stuff to play. And he's you know he knows all the the country vocabulary really, really well, which yeah. I have a lot of respect for. Mm -hmm. Um, but he would, he was got on a, we we're just talking. He's like, yeah, man, you know, I heard this guy and I think he was playing like a F blue scale over a D seven chord. And then I look at him like, okay, buddy, <laughs> because I know he loves, he just loves music and he's yeah. got wonderful ears. And I said, okay, do you want to go down this hall? And he's like, yeah, man. So yeah. I was like, well, he's yeah. probably playing like a D alter type of thing. What? what is that and i'll play it and he plays it right back at me and i'm like yeah. so it's just a matter of putting a label to what he can already hear yes but it, he's but he just loved to your point like that hunger of just which i love like i hope i never lose that of just mm -hmm. that um curiosity and wanting to always learn and get better yeah you know yeah there's sort of a process after you have gone through enough music of like learning and relearning and then you spend time away and it's it's almost to the point where I can rediscover something, a voicing, a tune I hadn't played in forever, a, a whatever, and go, oh, I, I probably did that one time, but I'm revisiting it, and that's part of the thing I found is like I can I can get excited about something again, almost like new, but you know, that's that's kind of what's fun about it. Yeah, it's just kind of revisiting your your catalog. That's the stuff that's there that you don't even know is there you right. know, anymore. And then when it comes time to play, it just it just happens, which is how you want. Well, so you, you're in Baton Rouge. You go through high school. That's where I had the pleasure of working with you. Yes. And then uh, you leave. And mm -hmm. uh, I know the answers to some of these questions, but I'll kind of prompt you. So you went off to New York, correct? That's and right. And you went to the Eastman School of Music Conservatory. Yeah. yeah. And how and was I, that? Oh, it was amazing. Well, and I, I should say, now that you mentioned it, that, you know, I in Early years, yeah, it was a musical family. But in high school, it was really mostly you and Willis Deloney. Yeah, who, who was my teacher. So this is all very family I know. connected. <laughs> and then even I think you took like a lesson with my grandmother one time when you were like a little boy. Yeah, probably Yeah, like so. 10 or something. Yeah. It's just, it's so insane. And we could go even further. Like, you know, your grandfather ended up being the band director for my kid. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it's just whatever. Yeah. And I, well, because I, I definitely remember like doing probably summer bands and then coming here and doing classes with my mom and working with your with your kids right right so it's just this big circle of students yeah. and teachers that keeps going it's so cool but yeah but I mean yeah you and Willis prepared me for those mm -hmm. college years on like I mean I I couldn't have seen it any better I I honestly remember the conversations with my mom about well, you, you know you think you want to go to NOCA you know you think I would take you to New Orleans to do mm -hmm. that and it was like no, nah, man, we got Mike S. on, and we got Willis Saloni right here. I had right. everything I needed, and I was so thankful for that. Um, nothing against NOCA. But oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, but yeah. Baton Rouge had everything I needed to get ready. Um, and then, yeah, Eastman School of Music for college. 
And just, uh, I mean, from a culture standpoint, I mean, you're in Rochester, New York. Right. As opposed to South Louisiana. So what yeah. was that like? Oh, I mean, it was, uh, well, in, in all ways, not just music ways, of course, it was a growing experience because there are people internationally that come mm-hmm. to that school. Um, so, you know, I... I I brought my South Louisiana roots with me, though, because I won't. I, we just played bass and street blues. Right. I think I remember one of my first performances. I was still really hanging on playing the trumpet a lot, you know, and so uh, I brought it to class, and and we did a version of bass and street blues, where I had played most of this like combo performance on keys, but then got up and played trumpet because you know I I was bringing that. New Orleans vibe sure. with me yeah. and that music that I grew up playing. Um, but, you know, that that was a cool thing to bring with me because when it was time to play, to study Scott Joplin or talk yeah. about stride piano, I felt like I was kind of already ready, like I kind of understood it. But then I got introduced to bebop and yeah. all the modern styles, stuff I, I was breaking into with you and, yeah. and obviously had a background on, but getting it in a school in New York – from teachers like Bill Dobbins, Harold right. Danko, who toured with Chet Baker and Lee Konitz and all these people. Yeah. And I was sitting there next to these guys uh, trying to absorb everything for the years I was there. And then, you know, of course, it was it was worth every penny, and it gave me the the tools I have now. So now, i got to ask you, um, sure. particularly about Bill Dobbins, because right. uh, I had a chance to meet him when I guess I was right out of high school and our, one of our mutual friends, uh, Dr. Bill Grimes, yeah. had brought me up there for a summer thing and was around him. And mm-hmm. um, and then consequently, I've, I've studied books that he's, transcription books he's done of Claire Fisher and all these, yeah. you know, to me, just monumental uh, transcribing tasks that yeah. he does. So, but what was what was that like, studying with a guy like that? Um well, definitely there was an intimidating part of it um, because his sort of, I mean, I know it's a word that's used maybe too much sometimes, but his genius was something that I think every student knew about before uh, they went to study with him. You know, so I knew, um, you know, real quick. Water. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what yeah. did I do with it? I don't mean to stop the story. It disappeared on us. I have all the keys and keys. <laughs> I drank it all. Bill, I must have drank where it are all. you, man? A lo- Perfect. You know, I just, I, puberty was a long time ago, but I hear myself <laughs> cracking these words, and I'm like, you know, just, you know, you, you can get so close to these things, and there's so much proximity effect. It just sounds so yep. warm. Yep. I know. But, um, but, yeah, with Bill, it was, part of it was a, um, definitely intimidating, but then, you know, he was, I, I know I heard a lot of things that he could be a, you know, kind of a tough teacher. Um, but when I had him, for the most part, he w- he was just so willing to share his knowledge and very generous with his time. He had a sign-up sheet that was on his door all the time with slots, I think 30-minute slots. Any student at any time could go sign up to oh, spend time wow. with him. And I, I definitely, I mean, I don't think I ever could have felt this way, but I definitely, I don't think I could have felt like I took enough advantage of it. Um, even though I did do it a few times, I know I probably should have done it more because <laughs> I could go in there and play him something and then he would sit down and do something else and I would just get, you know, my mind blown pretty much right. every time and learn something. 
But I got to take, I mean, my best class I got to do with him was a comp class, and we went through um, part writing and that kind of thing. Yeah. And his sort of school of doing that is very unique, starting with like you know, five voice, four, three, um, really getting into that like Jerry Mulligan kind of you know, linear stuff that just yeah. is also locking up vertically, and he's such a master at that. That's that Claire Fisher yeah. element in what he does. Um, but then we went through all these composers and had to write like specific composers. Mm -hmm. We had an assignment, write a Bill Evans tune, gotcha. write a Jerry Mulligan tune. Um, and boy, I just, I ate that class up. It was great. That's yeah. one I wish I could just go take again. Right. You know, right. just, just for one semester. Yeah. Try to remember it all. Well, and it, that makes sense because one of the books I had by him, it was basically him composing tunes in the style of, and it would be from Keith Jarrett to Bud Powell to Bill Evans, you know, yeah. just all the masters. And yeah. all the tunes were like dead on. Yeah. You Have know? you seen his thing that's, I think it's on YouTube now, of him playing through, um, I think it's All of Me, he used as like the, oh, I haven't seen the progression. Yet. And he goes through Oscar, um, Willie Line Smith. I mean, people from like every yeah, era yeah. and plays the tune. He, I mean, he wrote all these things, he composed them, but... Um, yeah, it's just, you have to find it on YouTube. Yeah. He just ta he talks about each player and then does this brilliant thing where he sound, sounds like exactly like Art Tatum. Mm -hmm. And then he just shifts, and now it's going to be Bill Evans, and now it's going to be Chick Corea. And it's just, yeah. So, I mean, you know, to be around somebody like that, another blessing, another privilege, mm -hmm. you know, that makes right. that. That's what, you know, when people ask, because I get asked a lot, actually, by young students that I teach, should I go to college for music? And I usually tell them, it's like, if you want to study with people like that, it's, it's usually the, like the best way to do it. Right. I know so many people want to teach themselves now because of YouTube. And there are great, great YouTubers and creators out there that are making like stuff. Your, that, like yourself. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that's on par with a lot of what they get at a school. But, you know, to, like I said, to sit next to a teacher like that for some years is uh, you can't replace that, I don't think. Well, and also I think there's there's something about a one-on-one -on -one being with a, a mentor yeah. who's really checking out you yes. and your strengths. And, of course, a great teacher recognizes the weaknesses right away and, and hopefully um, doesn't beat you down about it, but just right. kind of try to, tries to find constructive, fun, creative ways, inspiring mm -hmm. ways to deal with those things. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to think, especially with my uh, lessons with, with Harold in school was, it was almost like jazz therapy, you know, oh. it was like, it, it was like, it was, or, or like, you know, sort of like going to the doctor, not like, you know, Oh, you're, you're sick. I have to fix you. But just kind of like, again, somebody that can kind of diagnose your playing and see the things you can't see and give you that, that one phrase that you're going to remember for the rest of your life and teach your students one day that changed your playing. Right. And moved you in the right direction, and that's that's like the that's the cool part. One of a story that I like to tell that's uh, uh, related to that, because um, one of the great teachers I had that was able to study with, who was just a a great player, um, but to me, just a wonderful teacher. And this is why, because the first time I met Alvin Baptiste, mm. I went in and played for him. And this is, you know, I'm, I'm in a group of people guys my age, students my age, and, you know, he's the elder mentor, um, 
but it's the first time I'd met him. And he said, well, play something for me. So, you know, I wanted to impress him. So I played, you know, some jazz tune. And mm-hmm. He's like, and you know, I improvised. He said, oh, man, that, you know, he had a great sense of humor, which I loved about him. He's like, yeah, Michael, um, that was great. Oh, look, 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 um, I'm going to play this melody on the clarinet. I want you to follow me. I said, okay. Okay. And I'm like, I'm hang, like I'm trying to hang, you know, but right. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm having trouble. And he's like, yeah, you see, you see, Michael can play giant steps, but I got him with Frosty. <laughs> but so he did it with a sense of humor, oh, but he made it painfully clear to me that you need to work on your ears more. Yeah, you know, and yeah. so that's all it took. Right, you know, right. Well, it's uh, it's that's great. Teachers can do that. You come in thinking you've already reached like one of the highest levels of complexity and you're ready to work on this. And then they just go, can you play a nursery rhyme in any key? Right. And can you play the chord changes to it? And can you improvise then on that tune? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's seems so silly and simple to do maybe to some, but it's definitely not. Yeah. It's definitely like that's the real, that's the real test is mm-hmm. when you have to do stuff like that. So when you, are playing your Christmas gig and the singer says Frosty and and B, yeah, because that's where my break is and that's where I want to. S- you know, you're ready. You're like, right. You're like right. so ready for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you can play giant steps changes over Frosty, and now what you're likely to do on a YouTube mashup, <laughs> probably. Yeah, yeah. Which I want to talk about later. Yeah, we should talk about that definitely. Well, let's get through the school stuff. So you, you finish up at Eastman. Right. And then, um, am I right? You, did you go straight to UT to get a master's? Or I was did. there in between? Or? I did okay. go straight, yeah. Okay. Moved so. to Austin, Texas. Study, and the, the cool thing, and this goes back to the high school, there's a lot of Eastman alum that I come across, you know, um, and uh, the, the teacher there is Jeff Helmer, mm-hmm. who went to Eastman as well. Um, and I mean, just another great player for me to absorb and learn from. And in Austin, that was kind of where I started. You talked about identifying myself as a mostly jazz musician or not. That was where I kind of, that mold was broken more and more because um, through a lot of the professors at school playing at the Elephant Room, which is like one of the main yeah. jazz clubs downtown, mm-hmm. I was exposed to musicians of all genres, guys like um, some good John Blondell, who was a bass player and trombone player. What's fantastic about him is he could do Watrous, like kind of just like him. And then he also would sit down and play electric bass, and he had played with Joe Henderson before. He had also played and toured with Willie Nelson. So it was, you know, I was in this different musical culture kind of of Texas sort of too. So that was where country music and playing rock. And it was a crazy night where I played with – Kenny Rogers mm-hmm. and Chris Christopherson on the same <laughs> stage. I'll never forget that. And it's not to drop names, but just just to to push the point that I got exposed to some. Uh, it, I, my my jazz bubble was burst more. <laughs> yeah. There and it's like you said, it's that thing of figuring out how can I use this stuff now and okay, I got to play B three now in a rock band. Right. I got to right. sit down and play like a Western swing tune with a singer with some horns. Yeah. Um, similar in so many ways to what I was already doing, but yeah. still new. So nice. Yeah. Well, so uh, when you so you did get your master's there, I did. And then what what happened after that? Well, after that, I did a little touring with the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Which is a amazing story because I mean the band's been touring pretty much nonstop since I mean pretty much since its inception. 
And um, I had the privilege of touring in Japan for a month, yeah. which is probably still... Hopefully I'll do more international touring, but that so far has been it, and it was such a highlight. That's sure. great. Um, but yeah, I toured with them for just a few months, but then this place, Sweetwater, rung me up. Well, or I, I guess I rung them first, and then they luckily called back. And um, I spent some great years there. Now what what gave there. you the idea of calling? Like, what was your mindset there? Were you know. Well, that's a good story is because I was in Austin and I was done with my master's and I was playing gigs and I was having a great time there playing with musicians and just gigging locally. But, um, you know, you get to that point in life where it's like, OK, you, you got to have something you got to do. You got to do a job. Right. And I was looking for what that was. And teaching was obviously something I was interested in pursuing coming from a family of right. music educators. I knew that. But um but one of my friends from Eastman sent me this job posting that he just said, hey, I know you've got like a YouTube channel and you seem to be into recording and technology. You might like this gig. And it was for that. It was for the keyboard artist gotcha. at Sweetwater. And I just, you know, grabbed a Nord from a friend and did a, a demo on a keyboard and tried to do my best to kind of play and demonstrate and do that thing. And, you know, when I was on the road with GMO, they called me and said, hey, would you, we'd love to have you come out. And so as soon as I flew home, actually, like I, I get on a plane and I go up there and I meet all those wonderful people. And, um, yeah, did that gig. And, that, and, and that, that gig was really comprised mostly of being on YouTube and, mm -hmm. and um, new keyboard products would come in. I got to figure out how to use it, sometimes with enough time, sometimes with little time. And, uh, and it, was, it was a really rewarding year few years that i got to spend I, I, and again just kind of like everywhere else i've been i made gre great friends and through osmosis learned new skills and well and you know for the viewers who <laughs> for the one or two viewers who aren't familiar with sweetwater i mean they're they're basically yeah. A, yeah. a a mammoth company within yeah. the the retail music the industry. largest still the largest online music retailer. they are the largest the largest yeah and that wow. that's been for some years now wow so what a great opportunity for you i mean you know just the uh, yeah. i know when i started when you started working there and i would i may not have even known that you were working there because uh, I, I generally try to keep up with former students but all of a sudden yeah. i start seeing you and like oh check that out <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because i shop there yeah <laughs> you know yeah and it was, and there's been kind of the fun things in, in some of that time, like being recognized randomly in the airport, you know, mm. oh, you're, you know, Sweetwater yeah. guys. And I had heard from those other guys, was like, yeah, that's going to happen because, I mean, and, and that's, Sweetwater has become kind of the top destination for music gear. And um, yeah, I, I, it was, it was a privilege to be there because, you know, okay, so we've talked a lot about my playing, but now a thing with more new technology is... Um, you know, being able to record yourself from home, understanding software, computer, DAW, um, getting into a recording studio, a real one, mm -hmm. um, that all that stuff happened for me there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it was, it was kind of like, it was like, in a lot of ways it felt like I was still going to school, you know, which I think a lot of the best jobs are like yeah. that. Yeah. Cause you, you feel like you're, you're still learning exactly. at the same time. Yeah. Um, made great friends that were engineers in Nashville for years and musicians that were touring with all kinds of people, not jazz people. I was in a lot of ways like uh, kind of almost on an island sometimes because I felt like I had this 
born in South Louisiana, jazz background, went to school. And then I'm meeting guys that just had different experiences. You know, right. they, they were more in the rock world or they were more in the country world. Mm-hmm. Or they come from the engineering producer side, but they also play. Um, and it was, it was cool to get to know those guys, yeah. you know, and work with them and make, make records, get to record in Sweetwater Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't, really and that's a good point is that i don't think i did one like solidly jazz thing in that studio in five years mm-hmm. it was mostly i get thrown in with a singer songwriter i got to play b3 on a prog thing and right. turn the distortion all the way up and just play as many notes as i can and right, right. <laughs> I, I just had a ball doing that stuff. yeah it sounds know? like it would have been um, a lot of fun it was yeah amazing yeah. yeah well so is that kind of when i'd like to Nowadays, you have such a um, large social media presence, and you're doing all these kind of cool. And w- one of the things I really dig about what you're doing is it all—it always comes with a sense of humor, yeah. Which I really, really dig. I think yeah. that's just, you know, ideally, most music should always have that. You know, I think so. Too. Of course, there are situations where if you're playing rock monoph, it shouldn't might, might not be that funny. But uh, right. But uh, that's one of the things that makes it. Um, just fun to watch and it, like the more uh, educational stuff you're doing you know yeah. it's always packed with some humor and you know it's just fun yeah yeah so. yeah is that kind of where you started really kind of getting deeper into that when you were at Sweetwater yeah for sure I mean it just before and again that was kind of why that one of my best friends I had in, in school thought of me because I was I mean this was a little over 10 years ago and I mean YouTube yeah was a thing then but it's not it wasn't then what it is now right um, the whole idea of a content creator, I don't even think was really being said like in 2014 or so, mm-hmm. but I was making YouTube videos on my own and wanting to learn more about doing that. Cause I knew that was one of the many new ways musicians are making livings, right. making content and kind of sort of building businesses around that. Um, but then I get to Sweetwater and now I've got this, one of the largest companies in the music industry selling gear like and I'm doing it for them and so right. that's why in so many ways it was like school because I you know um, got to meet people that were editing the videos and the guys that were doing sound in the room and is a whole production team that's making this content um, every week every day every week so it was uh, yeah that was really where it started and then but sort of my Instagram stuff that's been happening that really came uh, sort of Towards the end when I was there, there was a push to do more social media, um, you know, because I feel like I kind of like to say for a long time, people were only watching like this, but more and more hmm. your phone being upright is, I mean, now TikTok and things like that have sort of taken over. Right. Although YouTube is still a place where people definitely go to learn stuff, you know, where I feel like TikTok is for that serotonin bump. And just right, keep, right. Hmm. But uh, I was making some stuff for them and I kind of, got to cut my teeth on okay what can I do on social media that people will find engaging this mostly jazz musician keyboardist but that I've kind of grown to just throw myself at every genre of music without judgment and I've also got a little kind of a weird sense of humor it's like so so what can I do and so that's when I started you know kind of I think probably if I was going to say some influences, bands like Dirty Loops mm-hmm. or Jacob Collier. Yeah. I mean, there, there's kind of this trend that started years ago of the sort of next gen musicians taking classic pop classics that are maybe a little bit more high musically minded and just taking it all the way there. Yeah, turning them through the ringer. Just turning <laughs> it up, turning up the, the, the Coltrane to 11. 
Right. You know, um, which maybe takes the fun out of it for some people. But I know that now there's an audience. People who are paying attention. There's an audience that thinks it's fun, you know, and and lately it's been the mashup thing, you know, like taking, you know, heart. uh, And then. (laughs) Stravinsky. (laughs) I was like, that's not the right chord, but that's the rhythm. And, you know, so. Yeah, it's it's become a sort of a slight addiction, and right. I, I find it fun, and I I think uh, yeah I I always aim to make it music musically satisfying enough to make a good joke or mm-hmm. to make a good impression or just to make somebody go, <laughs> wow I couldn't have thought of that that's nuts you know because that's that's the reaction I love to get you know it's just the ah. right right <laughs> that's funny yeah. Um, at some point, I, w- I want to get a little techie with you because I'm just curious about some things. But before sure. we do that, um, we've been doing a lot of talking. And I would, if you don't mind, I would just love to go back to the acoustic world, so to speak, and yes. just hear you play something solo piano. Okay. Whatever, you, whatever you're hearing. All right.
job, man. Bravo. Yeah, I love it. Um, uh, could I get a lesson next tomorrow? Hell no. <laughs> you don't that was killer. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah. Of course, that was Henry Mancini's uh, Days of Modern Roses. Yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, I have a funny story. Years ago, I met Ginny Mancini, his wife. Yeah. He, he, of course, he had passed, but uh, then she was up in age. But she told a story of um, that song, and a, a buddy of, they called him Hank, uh, a, a buddy was of Hank's was talking to him. He says, yeah, man, you know, I'm... I was watching that movie, but I, I have to confess, I fell asleep. And, and um, how did it end? And without missing a beat, Hank goes, French horns on a high sea. How else would it end? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so going back um, to the stuff that you're doing with for YouTube or Instagram. Uh, right. Okay, so like, what what kind of DAW are you using for that? How do you do that? Not to get too in the weeds, but yeah, you know, sure. in general, how are you doing yeah. this stuff? Um, yeah, for those that have taken the plunge into that um i saw a funny meme or something that was talking about like uh like that that if you could go back in time before that moment that you like started using a doll for the first time <laughs> all the all the time and the the sadness that it would it would save you from having to experience right it was kind right. of a, you know i was like oh that kind of works but ultimately but i'm glad i know how to do it all you know it's just for people that have gone to that dark side of recording they will understand a little bit of that mm-hmm. feeling you know but uh but yeah with daw um that was one of the cool things being at sweetwater was that i got to kind of use almost all of them you know at least the ones yeah. that they were using so i've i've done a little bit of pro tools a little bit of ableton you know fl studio which is a weird one because that's really well for me because i'm more of a you know, piano composer type, and that's what a lot of beat makers are using. So, but I kind of had to put myself in the mind of some of these other mm. kinds of musicians or creators, music creators, um, and figure it out. And and now what I really landed on was Logic Pro. That's mm-hmm. usually what I'm using. Yeah. Um, just because for what I mostly do, which is composing, arranging, mm-hmm. sometimes doing film score stuff. Yeah. You know, it, it handles that. Yeah. Well, well enough for me for what I do. I know there, there are always the guys that would tell me, you know, Cubase, man, you're missing out. Like, you got to go learn Cubase. And I'll go, right. okay, when I have the, the free uh, uh, second life, I'll go learn a new dog. Right, you know? right. <laughs> I've always felt that way. Well, with DAWs as, yeah. as well as just like you know notation programs and that's and so forth. Yeah, it's like you know, similar. I think ultimately, unless you you know, I guess some can go deeper than others, maybe, but yeah. At the end of the day, it's just there's a learning curve in all of them. Yeah. So it's what you can use most effectively, and a lot of times in the real world, in a time crunch, um, that'll you know get the job done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's that's what it's what I got to you know kind of learn from getting to experiment with and play around with a lot of software at Sweetwater. It's like the software isn't what makes you mm-hmm. make music. Just like you know having. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to break anybody's heart, you know, but having like Paul McCartney's guitar probably won't make you sound like Paul right. McCartney, you know, right. or Steve Vai's guitar, or it might be cool to have. Oh, I know it's cool to have. I, you know, I, right. I wish I had a, you know, I wish I had Oscar Peterson's piano. That would probably right. be great. But, but there's you know, an operator element to this. Yeah, there is. <laughs> there's, there's the kind of things of guys like that you could put a bunch of clothespins in front of them on a string and they could still play right, it, you know, right. it, would, it would still sound like music. So, 
but yeah, so you, you, you know, it's, it's never, it can't be said enough. It's like, don't forget to develop the rest mm. when you're getting into your gear addiction and starting right. to learn that stuff. Right. But it's a great tool. I mean, now I'm, I've, I've through my time at Sweetwater, I, I had no choice but to get better at that stuff because so much of what, I mean, they, they sell musical instruments, but it's all the software and, and gear, interfaces, monitors, all the stuff that recording engineers are using to make you know, the, the best records out there now. So right. I got used to that, got the home studio going, I'm pretty happy with you know, composing. I, that's actually how I spend a lot of time these days. Of course, I still love to play and I gig and yeah. tour when it's cool, but I do love just opening a new project with an idea and mm -hmm. crafting every little bit of it, you know, it's it's uh it's fun to have your your hands on that like that. I'm a believer. Yeah, yeah. just to yeah. be uh, you know, uh, to be in the creative process and um, just exploring. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's just kind of looking for new ideas and yeah, you know, yeah. Um, well, that's kind of what I was going to ask you. Like, um, you know, post Sweetwater and um, you, you said you're living at just outside of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, what are, what are you excited about right now? I guess that would fall into a composing, and is there sure. any other thing that, you know, that's kind of on the horizon that you're, you know... Yeah, I'm excited about, you know, well, the, the social media thing and the videos I'm doing have led to some interesting collaborations that I'm kind of always working on. I saw one name in that, um, I just know that you're working with uh, Adam Neely. Yeah, yeah, there. well, so I, I came across Adam from uh, being in this jazz fusion band, Everything Yes, and um, we did a, a tour um, alongside Sungazer, which mm -hmm. is his group. And so, you know, it was it was just cool to meet Adam because he's become one. Of, again, we're talking about YouTube. He's one of those guys that so many people know yeah. now, like Rick Beato or Charles Cornell is another one that's mm -hmm. a uh, pianist. Um, and uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it was just good to see him and pick his brain a little bit about YouTube when you know. And uh, he was a wonderful guy. It was cool to hang with him for a little bit. Um, but yeah, but you know what I'm excited about now is, you know, just kind of kind of seeing where this creation content creation thing is going to take me. And it's done some interesting things, you know, because lately I started with kind of focusing on older music, but now I've started to kind of you know, go after Snarky Puppy or, mm, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of like, who's, who's he going to put his crosshairs on <laughs> this week? <laughs> right. And it was a cool thing. Like recently, like, um, uh, uh, Mark Lettieri, I think is how you say his last name, the Snarky Puppies yeah. guitar player. And I did something from his band Yeah. and, uh, and he like commented and it was like, and I post it. That's so crazy. Yeah. I, I matched him up with Katy Perry. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was yeah. firework, but it was like, you know, really dark, like, And it's like, uh, just again, ele <laughs> elevating simple pop music with a, some layer of complexity that just, I mean, does that moment ever happen off? where you you know, your wife is like, what, what are you, what you're hearing? You're in the next room. Like, yeah. what, what are you doing? <laughs> she is my beta tester really. Right. Cause, and that, this is a, this is the other thing that I'm excited about. It dovetails into that is uh songwriting and, and doing really songwriting and not like, you know, jazz composing but mm -hmm. but writing songs with lyrics and various pop styles and there's a 
a really long <coughs> al- album of music that I'm currently working on okay. with, a, with yeah. a guitar player friend of mine. And it, it kind of ranges rock, R&B, funk. I obviously need that jazz background for all the things, mm-hmm. so that's why it's been fun. But for <laughs> for my wife, with whether it's those songs, songs like that, or crazy mashups, I always kind of want her to hear it because she hears music totally different than I do. Right. Um, I, I, I do feel like I'm... I'm glad in so many ways that I, my partner is somebody that doesn't have a brain like mine. Right. Because the way she hears music is how a lot of people hear it, which is top down. You know, mm-hmm. she's listening to the lyrics. She always says, is the lyrics good? Does it have a good story? Um, obviously, it's got to make her move, but that's what you know, most pop music is built on is it's got to have... It's got to have a great story that connects with people mm-hmm. and great rhythm. If it really has to those two things, it's probably going to succeed. So even when I'm playing her crazy mashups, you know, if it's, I played her the Katy Perry, you know, snarky puppy thing. And she was like, I, she had the stank face. And when you get the stank <laughs> face and she was into it's grungy. It's a compliment in the highest regard. Exactly. Well, she was, and she was uh, into a lot of music that I maybe wasn't at, you know, in younger age, you know, she went through the 2000s rock stuff and, yeah. Um, but also loves all the old stuff I do. So, and she memorizes lyrics like nobody else. I wish mm-hmm. I could do that. I'd be a lot more uh, useful on gigs if I had her lyric brain. Right. But I just I love now just trying to expose her to the things I'm doing to sort of get that, you know, non ingrained music ear opinion of things. Um, and so yeah, but some sometimes she does. I'll admit, sometimes she hears stuff and she goes, oh, that's, that's pretty weird. I mean, that's... <laughs> I mean, will there ever be a time where you kind of nix it or you just go a different direction yeah, as sometimes. a result? Yeah, yeah sometimes. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I, you know, I've gotten into Melodyne and, and more and more levels of pitch shifting and correcting. Yeah. And I go, I go as deep as I feel like I need to. And, and there's always, I mean, there's always musical elements that aren't exactly lining up in these things. But what I think what I, you know, interpreting about people is that they kind of get that part of it. And maybe the, you know, it's the humor and it's enough of it that kind of works. It just makes you go, oh, that's, that's kind of, it's almost good. You know, (laughs) that's what a lot of people say is like, wait, why does this kind of work? Right. That's probably the main comment I read, you know, so I, I try to get it to work well enough to have some type of positive effect on people. But there have been, there are plenty Logic projects sitting in my computer of stuff that I started and stopped. Just some stuff I just go, oh, man, this is kind of gross. I don't think I'm going to be able to – I don't think this one's going to ever come out. Well, I imagine on the, on the flip side of that sometimes, you know, does you're ever like, wow, this really worked even better than I thought it would. You yeah, know? yeah, always. Or a lot of times what I love is it's something like um, – a lot of times it will happen like um, – you know, let's see if I can do it with, the, like, the Katy Perry thing is, like, you know, if I might do something where, like, I move the melody up, like, a fifth. So if this is the root, uh, now it's, like, you know, and now all of a sudden it's uh, same yeah. shape, right? slightly different chromatic yeah. thing in there. But I'll make those little discoveries, mm-hmm. and that's what keeps me doing it. Because when it happens, I just like I start howling, laughing <laughs> at how ridiculous this is, and I'm doing this. Um, 
you know, and then the, what's been cool too is the the suggestions people give me are oh, often yeah. way sure wackier than I could ever, you know. That that was why I did I did Beyonce with Snarky Puppy, mm-hmm. um, because it uh, somebody suggested that, and I was like, I, even before I f- knew what tunes I was gonna do, and I was like, I just I have to make this right. work, even if it gets kind of weird in the middle of the process and I'm, I'm maybe thinking about trashing it's like no i gotta see this one through and that's what i usually do is if the idea is wacky and it makes me smile i, I force myself to get through it it's mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna make something out of this because i'm already getting a good reaction just of the concept right you know right. it's kind of it almost makes me feel like how joke writers probably are like mm. on snl you know if it if, if just they just kind of shooting you know the thing on the side and they start laughing about something they haven't even written yet. Right. It's like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, there's something there. This is going in on Saturday. Right. You know, this is going in. Man. Well, look, Jacob, uh, it's been a real pleasure having you. Yeah, thanks, uh, I'm man. so glad you could do this. Yeah. And uh, well, I'm actually going to see you later tonight for the, uh, yeah. the Forche Gerbrecht Invitational. That's right. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And um, we kind of talked about sending the um, listeners and viewers off, uh, maybe going back to back down to South Louisiana Love and doing it. something kind of funky. Yeah. Um, and this is a tune that uh, I could, actually was just introduced to me not too long ago by uh, saxophonist Roger Paulin, but he uh, he had learned it from the composer Ed Frank, a wonderful, um, he just okay. passed, but a wonderful a New Orleans pianist, yeah. arranger, composer. And um, don't get mad at me if I got it wrong, Roger, but I think the name of it is Fruit Punch. Oh, nice. I think that's what it's called. But before yeah. we do that, uh, so if people want to keep following you, obviously they're going to find you on YouTube, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, but where else? Website? You know? Yeah, jacobdupremusic.com. Okay. And, uh, I mean, it features a lot of the stuff you'll see on those other sites. So, mm-hmm. you know, most likely Instagram. Instagram uh, likes me, likes the videos I make. Uh, TikTok, maybe I'm just – it's because I'm a millennial. I'm too old. It does <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm hit or miss. If you're old, how does that make me feel? But Jeez. but you know you can see a lot of the same things on TikTok. So if you love TikTok, you know you can follow me there right. and, and check that out. But hopefully, you know you'll see me playing somewhere, yep. um, maybe doing another tour again. You know we'll see where it goes. Hope so. Yeah. So, man, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to playing again because I'm gonna have my my clock back. <laughs> you're like, I mean, you probably noticed like my my I guess if I was it's hard to analyze yourself but my sort of solo playing tends to be a little on the perhaps on the zany side and it's always fun to play with people that i feel like ground me oh you, well. you've just got you've got that thing you've oh got well, that, no, well uh you've one, got you know one thing i thing, yeah. i was going to comment when i heard you play the uh the henry mancini tune um one thing that's such a joy unless to anyone who plays solo jazz piano in particular um you know, one of the, as you already know, I'm preaching to the choir, but the, one of the difficult things is to, to assimilate the rhythm section right. by yourself. Yes. Of course, a huge part of that is just the groove. Yeah. And, you know, it was so easy. It, you're doing all kinds of stuff going all over the place, rhythmically changing things, but the clock, mm-hmm. the clock was there. Oh. So. <laughs> Glad to hear that. Because I feel like I was... I talk about this to students sometimes. I was kind of a late bloomer with metronome practice, but mm. now I'm a metronome Nazi because yeah. my, my, my brother and I were talking about this the other day. It's like if, you, if you're not doing that, you're not, you're not really playing because that's, you know, you're, you're kind of always, uh, you know, 
practicing without that guide to keep you honest. And the, you need the that. governance. The go- yeah, you got, you got to have somebody keeping you keeping you honest about those kinds of things. Well, but anyway, we could go on. This will be the next episode. There you right go. Right. And hopefully there will be another one in the yeah, future. Yeah, so. I hope so too. Okay, so uh, fruit punch. Love it. How about... Um, Move this now. You take the first solo. All right, man. So one, two, a one, two, uh, 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 uh. I guess it would help if I had some stuff. Oh, it just, it died on me. <laughs> there we go. We're in business. All right. Yeah, okay, good. As I say, that's the jazz. That's the jazz, right. Improvising. One, two, three, four.
The Arts Council of Greater Baton Rouge would like to acknowledge our generous sponsors, the Shell Corporation, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Louisiana Office of Cultural Development, and the City of Baton Rouge.